Kia hora te marino, kia whakapapapaunamu te moana, kia tere te kārohirohi i mua i tō huarahi. May the calm be widespread, may the seas glisten like greenstone, and may the shimmer of sunlight forever dance across your pathways. E ngā hau e whae whakarongo mai ana, he mihi tēnei ki a koutou. Ko Justin Murray tēnei, welcome to Te Ahikā. Mariah is with some locals at the Ngarua Wahia market. There's a queer whose bread, aira, bread, must be the most well-travelled. It's been to America, it's been to, it goes to Australia. Hell! And Borneo, pretty good. I used to go down there, Korea, used to Korea the bread down there. And a bone carver, Nathan Hiker. I am pregnant. Four and a half weeks to go, and I am buying internet airline tickets for a friend whose mother is very sick and has no hospital to go And to. here's a treat. Tongan Palangi poet Carlo Mila reads Victory to the People, Nikolasi is Born. Airongofakata Kroua Rapiata Darcy Ria is one of the recipients at the Tākingi Ihaka Awards at the recent Nga Taonga Toi a Te Wakatoi. Now, when asked about how he felt when he heard he was a recipient, he was very surprised, and with the encouragement of his whānau, he decided to attend. Stay with us at the iwi, ko te mea tuatahi. Now we are back next week with more kupu Māori or Māori words, but this week we have a few everyday phrases you can use, and it's always good to mix it up. Here's one to use at the gym. Kei te ngenge a hau. Now that means I am tired. Or kua pau te hau means you are literally out of breath, out of energy to do that last sit-up. Now if you're hungry, usually I get that 3.30pm hunger bug. It's kei te hia kai a hau. Now this means you would like some food. Or if you're thirsty, it's kei te hia inu a hau. Now everybody runs on time. We organise our day by it. So next time, try using kei te aha te wā. Now this means, what time is it? Kaitiaha te wā. Another phrase you can use every day is when you call someone. Now if you don't know who that is, maybe it's a secret admirer, you can use kōwai tērā, meaning who is that? Who are you on the other side of the phone? Now there's a few phrases you can use iara, iara, that's every day. rārangi Māori mō wā. And you can always send any feedback to tiahika at radionz.co.nz. Now last week you heard about Nga Taonga Toi a Te Wakatoi. There's a number of categories and over the next few weeks we're profiling recipients of those awards. Starting with... Rapiata Darcy Ria. Our Krawa was born in 1921 youngest of ten children, born to Keriana Te Wiwini and Ria Te Ota. He was educated at Gisborne Boys High School, and when World War II broke out, he was a member of the 28th Māori Battalion. Tēnā 
I was here, and then in Lexington and Wellington here, I was part of Nati Pune here. So like all the young fellas at that time, we were, had a few drinks. We came to Nati Pune one night, we teasing the girls, and the heads of Nati Pune were a bit, a bit annoyed. And in walked a fellow named Sam Tahiwi. He was the security officer. So he said, hey, you young fellow, are making a nuisance today. Why don't you be men and join the department? We took on his challenge. But half a dozen of us all completed the application. And within a couple of weeks, we were in the army. And that was the starting of it. And I've always felt glad that I did become part of the battalion because of what the boys did there, mm. obviously. So, nine children, 22 grandchildren, and nine great-grandchildren. They must keep you on on your, you know, keep you... Um, that's the other thing I'm very blessed with, with... Um, who I treasure most is my wife. She was the same as me, grew up in Gisborne, and after the war came back home, and she was still running around single. I said to myself, blow this down to me, you get hold of that girl. But anyway, we, we parted and whatever, I mean, people did, and, and my wife was part of it. And then it came to the time when, well, we decided that we did have some affection for one another, mm. so we dotted, the, signed the dotted line. <laughs> signed the dotted Also, Matsua, um, you learnt te reo as an adult, and you became the licensed Māori interpreter. Wow, that's awesome. That's <laughs> kapai then, Quite strange, really, uh, when I joined the Department of Māori Affairs. I was working in the Maryland court and after running that I was around at the time he was in, in a way objecting to the devil even with the Maori staff and talking by her and he threatened the department you don't teach those Mary people in there the Maori language I'll say them <laughs> so that was a start really and uh, I made it my business to get interested in, in talking to the real. And at, at that time, the, the only examination they had for Māori people was that Mary licensed interpreters. One thing about that examination, it enabled you to progress in the Department of Māori Affairs. So I took it up, studied hard, and my teacher was an excellent person, Peter Cover. He said, look, Darcy, you sit your license examination. And I said, oh, Peter, uh, do you think I'll get it? He said, you study, when you were learning, you study uh, translating illegal documents, such as wills, lease forms, mortgage forms, wow. those sorts of things. That'll get through you through your license. Well, it was a big surprise to me, really, when I received the notification. I said, why are they considering me? I've done the 
I haven't done anything else, anything. So it was my daughters or my family said, Dad, you keep yes. that appointment, so you go. So I'm here. Rapiata Darcy Ria Norongo Fakata, one of the five recipients of the Kingi Ihaka Award in recognition of a lifetime contribution to the development of arts and culture. Now, next week we feature a fellow Ta Kingi Ihaka Award recipient, Tiarua Kuya Katerina Daniels. I'm Justine Murray, and for more information about the program, our show, and podcast, you can go to the website radionz.co.nz forward slash Tiahika. Now, Edith P. Tama makes prawa rewana. Mmm, that's what my whanau called it. Now, one of my nannies would make it in a umu, and there was nothing better than the smell, the aroma, the wafting through the house. We'd run to the kitchen and... There it was, in all its deliciousness, dripping with golden syrup. Now, the prawa rewana Edith P. Tama makes is so infamous, politicians request it. So what is it that we have here? I, we're in um, Naruawa here on a Saturday morning. Are you out here every Saturday morning selling the parawa? E here to eight dollars. Eight dollars. Four for half. Four for half. So how long does it take you to make this parawa? An hour and a half to cook. Six. I do six at a time. And you make it from the um, the riwai ni. Yeah. So have you always had the bug? Over 30 years. Cow! Yes, it actually came from a friend of mine where I was working at Plastic Products in Hamilton. And it actually belonged to her mum. And this was over 30 years. Cheer. And her mum had been gone a few years ago. Right. So you the, um, do you tend to be the major parawa maker? Yeah, and the whānau? Yes. Everybody wants you and it's uh, a tangihana or anything like that? Um, not, not for the marae. I don't make the bread for the marae. Just for people around here. Yeah. And outside. It's been to America. It's been to, it goes to Australia. Hell! And Bormia, Parikura. Oi! Used to go down there, Korea. Used to courier the bread down there. Jeez, you're famous! One of the whānau used to, uh, was a, um, was a chauffeur from and he actually lived here. 
and his sister used to get the bread in Turia. Turia? So what, is it still getting couriered down No, there? no, so I guess it must be all the time. Yeah, and, so it's been everywhere. And you've got some kiki there as well. Right, yeah, I make Madeira cakes because a lot of our people around here, especially the Tomatoes, like love the Madeira cake. My Madeira nanny used cake. to make a really nice Madeira cake. And they love, love the homemade. And it's so homemade. nice and it kind of melts in your mouth almost, eh? Mm. Oh, I'm getting yeah. tempted to buy a parawa. Okay, <laughs> so that's what I do. I used to make chocolate cakes and all the other cakes, but... I should have went off it because they really go for those. It was more than Madeira. And have you always lived here in Narua Wahia? Yes. Right? Yes. Born and bred? Yes. Yeah. Oh, kia ora. Kia ora. How are you? Good. So are you here to buy prawa? No. Well, then go away. <laughs> no, no, I'm only joking. Why are you doing that? <laughs> the sugar girl on the bread, do you come here a bit? When I'm hungry for Hey, is this the best day when I'm not all here? Oh, yeah, this is it. Hey, yeah. and this isn't because she's your auntie. <laughs> oh, hey, so, oh, yeah, infamous. The prowl is famous in Naru here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the old songs in the old stomach, eh? <laughs> um, how much does that cost? Um, Six dollars. Six dollars because you gave her a compliment. <laughs> so if I stay here, I might get my one for four. <laughs> awesome, Kyoda. Thank you. <laughs> oh, okay. Can I buy that one, please? We're going to buy a loaf of bread for our lunch. So you've got some customers that I have some distance yeah, to get yeah. flowers. There's one guy that comes from Thames and he works in Pukekohe. But he comes out about a month, once a month, picks up about two or three, four loaves, takes them home, slices them, freezes them, and they're just as nice when they're frozen. But you slice them up, and just take out what you want, two each. And they're from all over. I get Hamilton. Sometimes I can't keep up with the with demands. And I also sell them at home. They come to the house because they usually miss out on a Saturday, so they come on a Friday afternoon. I start baking about 8 o'clock at night, in the morning, in the morning, your Friday morning, and they're all fresh, they're not frozen. So do you use, if you must cook them one at a time, neither? No, I have six, six in my oven. Jeez, how big your oven? It's an old oven, it's a um, thermal wave, it's got the fan bake. Yeah, no, get six in there. Four so big, big you don't pots. Don't put them in the big umu like no, the old no, days. No, no, no. I haven't got one. I'd love to have one of those. It'd be lovely to get one of those, but I haven't got one. Yeah, and I want to try and cook one outside. You oh, know, with the fire. Yeah, they've been marvellous. But you've got to have the ones with the legs, eh? So who first taught you how to make it? My sister. Yeah, one of my sisters in Hamilton. Yeah. And then I took her from there, and then my daughter makes it. I've got a daughter that makes it. And um, my sister in Australia makes it, and my daughter-in-law, Aussie, makes it. Yeah, and it's just by watching. You know, you can't tell them how to do it. They've got to be there and, yeah. and watch you make it. Because there's a certain way of kneading the yeah. parawa that you yeah. don't do when you're making parawa parai or any other parawa. Mm. There's certain ways. Mm. It? It's hard to catch on. You know, you've got to keep at it all the time. And to be able to keep that bug alive too. Well a lot of, I heard a lot of people 
feed it, they feed it mm. with sugar. Mm. Well, I don't. Oh. I do not feed it with sugar. And what do you feed it with? Nothing. I just put it in a jar. I'll keep about that much in a, a jar this size. I would keep about that much. And then from there, I just mix it up the day before I want to make the bread. Like a Thursday, I'll mix it up Thursday night. And then um, Wednesday, Thursday night, and then I'll leave it in the fridge. And then when I come home from work, because I work, when I come home from work at 11 o'clock, I'll start mixing my buckets. And I'll do it in buckets, two-litre buckets. So, Edith, could you just explain like what the bugger is? Potato. The potato, just a piece of bit of potato that's been boiled and mashed, and just a bit of the juice. And that's the bugger. Yeah, and you leave it sit for so many days or whatever. But I've actually got mine from a, a friend, and it's over thirty years. So, how do you keep on ensuring that you don't ever run out of it? You've got to keep some. You've got to keep at least that much in a jar this size. So do you keep on mashing up potatoes? No, no, it? no, I don't. It just grows. It just... That's what it does, though. Yeah, and I use warm water to mix it, the flour, and then it rises, and it makes a mess if you don't cook it straight away. Once it's risen in the bucket, it just comes up like nothing. So the money you make from selling them, Edith, is that your housing money? <laughs> no, it's not, my dear. It's actually, it's actually helped my mokos, my mokopunas, that have been overseas. And it's also taken us for a holiday. Yeah, so, and also if I need something at home, or helping my children... So we're sitting outside the West Westpac building here, and it's got a little bit of an yeah. entrance here. Is this always your posse? This is my posse. Yeah, <laughs> and I, knows. yeah, and they all know. Everybody knows. <laughs> and yeah. you've got a beautiful little setting here. You've yeah, got your I have. Nice, lovely, embroidered tablecloth. Yeah. I even had a customer wanting to buy it. Oh, it's beautiful. I said, no, it's not for sale. It's over 25 years old. It's absolutely yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it is nice. And this is the only time I use it. Nice. For the uh, or if we have something nice special at home, yeah. Oh, that's been nice talking to you. Nice talking to you. Yeah. Now, just down the road in Garawahia is a bone carving stall surrounded by his ten kids. Is a man hailing from Moko Fangaruru. Oh yeah. Well, my name is um, Nathan Hiker, and um, and that's where I'm from, from Fangaruru. So Nathan, we're looking at. um, just your bone carvings that you've got yeah. here sitting <laughs> sitting on, on the table here. Could yeah. you just talk me through a couple of the shapes and things? Because uh, I know some okay. are called... Um, I, I, I don't know much, but I know that some are called manaya. Yeah, like this one here, for instance. That's a double-headed manaya. Um, it's got a head for the tail, and there's, there's two hands there, two arms, interlocking... Um, around each other. There's another one here. It's a single manaya and it's just got the normal whale tail. That's the most most common one. That so one, what that's, is a manaya, Nathan? A manaya is um, it's more or less symbolic of a it's 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 a represents a, a spiritual form. Um, a manaya and um, it sort of represents our um, tupunas from the past. Yeah, that that's a representation of of them in their spiritual form, not 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 
not their physical form Aye. because their physical form was obviously human, Aye. human shape. Yeah. So that's what the significance of that manaya here. Over here we've got a whalebone. This is the only whalebone that I got. Oh no, apart from this kuru. Kuru, one of one of these kurus are. Um, they're quite common, kuru. But um, even this shape that this whalebone is in, it represents a a, a, a pickle pickle, a fern frond, and it's just interlocked around each other. Pickle, pickle or it's called. That shape. Where, where's um the shape here? This shape has got three kuris on it. And then my, I, I, I just call that, um, this particular bone carving, a turunga mea. And that represents, uh, what does a turunga mea represent? <laughs> Truth. A turunga mea. Yeah, I can't remember the other ones. What was the other ones? Truth and... Uh, oh, love, is it? Yeah. You, you might yeah. be right too. You might be right. Oh, it's so long since I had these things explained to me, I've forgotten. Uh, yeah, otherwise you've got a common shape like this, which is a tiki. That's a representation again of a... Actually, when you look at a tiki, it's more, it's more uh, of uh, the resemblance of an embryo or, or, a, little, or a little... Mm. Little baby. Like when so you see uh, the tiki represented on um, Po at the in front of a fari tupuna. Yeah. It often looks like an embryo. Yeah. Yeah. Either an embryo or a young child. And what's this this shape here? That that shape there. That's another common shape, and that's a that's an ancient uh, shape. That one, an ancient Maori uh, um, shape, and that's called a kapu. And, and um, this one here looks like a nanara, a lizard. Yeah, it is. It's uh, a mokomoko, okay. what they call a mokomoko down here. Yeah, but most of these. Um, See, that looks like a kofi, Nathan. It is. It's a kofi. <laughs> it's a flower. You know, it's supposed to represent the kofi. Kofi flower. even got a surfboard. Yep. With raglan. Yeah. <laughs> Been to raglan on it. <laughs> on the back, yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Gee, that's really neat. So this is my pastime. This is what I do in my um, in my pastime. Because I'm a stay-at-home dad. I've I got 10 kids. Had 11, but the oldest one's Jeez, passed away. She had meningitis, so... You were busy in Naruawahi, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I've only, we've, we've only been in uh, um, in the Waikato. Uh, um, I met my wife in the Waikato's. Um, but we've been... Ten years up in up in Northland, uh, north of Whangarei, and um, seven years down in Wellington, and now probably another four years back in the Waikato. Yeah, my wife, my wife, she comes from um, from uh, Kafia. She was a Tufangai, and um, yeah, so. Uh, even though I was born born and raised up in Moko Whangariri, I have quite a bit of uh, Tainui links. Yeah, quite proud of that too. Now, I can see you've got some hei taringa here as well as some heru. Yeah. How difficult is it to make the heru? Oh, heru yeah. are the clones. Um, 
yeah, it's reasonably... If you don't know what you're doing, I guess it can be awfully difficult, but... Because certain type of wood, eh, Nathan? Um... No, th these are all, these are all uh, fewer for kairo, which is uh, bone carvings. And uh, most, of the, most of those bones, most of those bones, they come from, um, from beef bones, uh, apart from the whale bones, or the, sometimes they get deer bone, and sometimes they get deer antler. And... See, this hairdo is a bone. Yeah, that's, that's a bone. It's can been... I touch it? Yeah, of course you can. It's been stained, sort of similar, similar to the way we stain our, our pew-pew and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But I can't tell you what I used to stain it with, otherwise I might have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> because I yeah. know um, I've got a hairdo and it was made out of a wood, out of wood. Yeah. And the product you put in your hair has eroded the wood, so oh. it ended up snapping. Oh, is that right? Yeah, no, it's a lovely, beautiful hairdo too. Yeah. So what's yeah. the tikkuna around hairdo then? Uh, hairdo is a... a uh, you know, in, in the olden days, the hairdo was mainly um, worn by um, Langatira or by um, chieftainesses, chieftainesses and chiefs. Um, and hairdo uh, is, uh, once it's put on the head, it becomes quite tapu. Yeah, because anything anything um, to do with the head is, is highly tapu, so they're not tapu at the moment. Um, yeah, I don't think any of the bone bone carvings are tapu, uh, uh, you know, as um, opposed to greenstone, because greenstone come from the earth, and anything from the earth is also tapu. Uh, but greenstone is particularly tapu because of its linkage with potany. Yeah, um, where's a uh, uh, where's a uh, these beef bone, most of the beef bone and that, even the whale bone, it's okay. they will come from dead animals. Oh, so it's okay. And I don't think they can hurt you anymore. Mm. Yeah. So how much are the, the hay fouting? Well, uh, most of them, uh, the, the, these ones on this side, most of them are $20 each. And those ones on that side, they're all $10 each, those ones. Okay, I'm just going to go run to the car and get my wallet. Oh, <laughs> quacky, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be happy with that. Go <laughs> okay. If your nickname at school was nigger, what would compel you to return as a teacher and send your own children there? <laughs> Ke whakahono retia to tātou ki ngi tūheitia e noho nei ia i runga i tōna tōna tapu. Me ona mātua tu tamariki mokopuna tihei mauiora. E ngā iwi o te motu e whakarongo mai nei, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Ko tangi te mapu maihi a hau, he kaiako, he pauako Māori, kei te kura tamatāne o ngā motu. O reira, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Ko ngā mutu, te ingoa ai, ko, ko ngā mutu te ingoa tūturu o tēnei rohi. So that's New Plymouth Boys High School, where yes. you're the head of department in Te Reo Māori, as well as a hostel master. Yes, yeah. that's right. Um, I'm actually an old boy. I, 
attended New Plymouth Boys High School as a student uh, from 1977 until 1982. And I was sent to New Plymouth Boys High School under the Māori Education uh, Foundation grant system. I personally uh, found that that gave me the opportunity to get out of the environment, family environment, uh, where I was living at home, in, uh, in, uh, in the Waikato. I was able to get away from babysitting jobs, uh, cooking Milking jobs. Milking the cows, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, coming to New Plymouth Boys High School was an opportunity to learn new experiences, uh, meet different people with different aspirations to the ones that I had been growing up with uh, at that time. Was there a tradition of uh, your whānau going to New Plymouth Boys High School? No. You were the first one? Yep. Actually, I was uh, supposed to go to Tipiti, right. but their role was closed uh, for their hostel. We looked at Te Aute, um, and I think in the early 80s, uh, the 1970s, their, their hostel was uh, not in the best repair uh, and, and so they didn't know whether that was going to be up and running. However, I know they've got a new hostel built just after they um, started funding um, schools like Te Oti, Māori boarding schools, because they used to be funded just by, by their, um, their churches and then the government started uh, giving them state funds as well. So when, when you came here in 1977, how many other Māori boys were there here? Uh, counting myself, five. Five. From around the Motsu? Uh, the Callaghan brothers from uh, Waipiro Bay, uh, Beamish Pritikahu from, from Taranaki, Wanganui, uh, Jeff Natot from King Country and uh, Robert Tahi from the King Country. There are five of us in my in my immediate year group. Are you the only one who's retained a 30-year association with the Kura? Uh, I, would, I would say, yeah, you'd have to say yes. Um, although I see a lot of the, the Māori old boys from time to time come back to the school, a lot of them have sent their, their boys to, to Te Aote College and other Māori uh, boarding schools. Um, but I returned here as a teacher in 1997, so this will be my 12th year as a, as a teacher now in New Plymouth Boys High School. Have you always lived in New Plymouth? No. Um, I left New Plymouth Boys High School in 1982, went to Teachers College in Massey University, Palmerston North, uh, in 1983. Stayed there and taught um, in Monterey Intermediate School in Palmerston North for six years. From there, I uh, moved into the secondary school service, uh, taking the HOD Māori position at Rangi TK College in Martin. Um, and then eventually back to New Plymouth Boys High School. 
going through here as a student and then returning as teaching staff is very much a different experience, though, near. Very interesting because a lot of the staff members that are here... Are still here. Are still here. <laughs> they are still here. Um, some of the teachers uh, who taught me um, are now, I would say, good friends of mine. Uh, they remember me as a student uh, in my times here and uh, we've just kept a, a strong relationship I suppose I suppose in coming back they've just strengthened as, as um, colleagues now so it's very interesting I'll give you this little anecdote about what it was like at New Plymouth Boys High School in my time uh, because I was one or five Māori boys uh, in the hostel and the darkest. My nickname uh, was Nigger. <gasps> and, and we're talking about the 1970s, 1980s, and, and things weren't as politically correct as they are today. However, most people know me as, as Nigger. They don't even know me by my, my uh, Christian name. And uh, coming back here on the staff, uh, a lot of staff members go, Hi, Nigger. Oh. <gasps> And, and say, oh, we can't say that anymore, can we? However, the relationship is um, is different because they know me from a different era. Does it? I think it's the way it's said uh, has the connotation of of uh, racism. Uh, but I believe that the staff members treat me with as much respect as any other hostel or staff member at New Plymouth Boys High School. How many other Māori staff here on the faculty? Uh, there are four. There are four uh, um, teachers who are Māori and uh, three of us who are speakers of Te Reo Māori at some level. And what about the, um, the numbers of Māori students that are here? Roughly it is 12%. And what does that work out, out of, to? Out of um, 1,800 boys, it's about 200, 220. And how many of those are boarders? Uh, Māori boys, I would say... In the hostel, we have a capacity of 220. Um, of that, we probably have 200 at the moment, and I would say... Uh, 30 to 40 would be Māori boys. Mm, that's a significant number. It is, it is. Quite interestingly... Um, what does that do in terms of the culture within the boarding house and then how does that um, flow over into the culture of the school? Mm, good question. Uh, one of the beauties of being in a hostel is that you're a captured audience. And uh, last year I... I instigated a hostel kapahaka uh, team, which has turned out to be the school kapahaka team. <laughs> we can practice uh, 24 hours a day if we want. Um, and, uh, Does the yeah. school have a haka? Yes. Because I understand there's been a 90-year um, rugby match that goes on between New Plymouth Boys High School and Te Aute. Uh, that's correct. And they'd have to respond for, to our haka? That's correct. I don't believe we've done it um, 
uh, well over the 90 years but in the last 20 years uh, New Blood Boys High School had been able to to take their place uh, in Kawa uh, whether at Port Fiddy whether we go to Teoti or whether they come to New Plymouth Boys High School we were able to reciprocate um, but we've had a haka here since the 1940s 1950s written by a man uh, named Rewiti I, I don't know his first name but he wrote it in the 1940s or 50s and it was half in English and half in Māori. Uh, however, in the early 1990s, it was translated into uh, Māori only by the teacher of Māori at the time, uh, Machu Junior. And that is the haka that the New Plymouth Boys High School boys perform. Um, so the the... Māori students here have some impact in terms of kapahaka that was instigated last year. What about on a wider scale? Well, New Plymouth Boys High School is quite famous for our uh, our school haka on on the terraces of the gully ground. If anybody is listening that is uh, aware of the New Plymouth Boys High School first 15 ground, they'll know that it's in a gully with terraces and we put 1,800 boys on one side and all the parents and supporters of both teams on the other side and, and 1,800 boys do our school haka throughout the, throughout the match, whether it be Te Aute, uh, Gisborne boys, Tauranga boys, Hamilton boys, Palmerston North boys. Uh, we play a lot of the very top schools in rugby and, and all of them uh, have very high... Uh, Māori uh, interests and in, in heritage, Rotorua Boys High School, Napier Boys High School, Hastings Boys High School. Uh, uh, we also play, some of these games have been going for a very long, long time, St Pat Silverstream, uh, Wanganui Collegiate, uh, and, and I think that uh, the Māori the Māori student who we choose as the haka leader for the hostel usually leads the whole school on um, first 15 rugby days. The whole school shuts down for the afternoon when the first 15 plays during the week and the boys go out and support uh, wind, rain or shine. Uh, it's definitely one of the spectacles that people talk about for many, many years. Mm -hmm. yeah. Māori boys have changed, definitely, and how we educate Māori boys is, is dynamic, it's changing all the time. I believe that uh, because we're two generations from moving away from Papakainga, uh, that our, these children of, of this generation do not really tie back to their, their uh, uh, tūhoitanga, taranakitanga, uh, tanga, they, 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 that twice removed. And is that reflected in the, in the, Media. rangatahi that are coming through the kura? Oh, I believe so, because a lot of kids you can't, you don't, I don't expect them to know what their iwi, waka, maunga, awa, roto, 
I don't expect them to know. Um, you just get small clues and then, and then ask them to go home and, and check. Uh, it doesn't mean there's much to them because I, I, although they go back to their marae, yeah, I know where my marae is, it's over there somewhere. Mm. They, they don't remember the name of it, I can't remember the tribe, which is quite interesting. But I think that media has changed our, our rangataki in that uh, a lot of their beliefs of coming from African-American influences on TV and uh, PlayStation games and the music that they listen to, uh, whether it's good or bad, um, they're shaping our rangatahi to some degree. Um, here at New Plymouth Boys High School, we like to keep our boys very busy. <laughs> they get very little time to watch, um, to watch uh, TV, movies, uh, DVDs, because you know we, we insist on them uh, taking a sport on a Saturday, we insist that they, you know, attend all rugby practices. It's expected. Uh, we, you know, I mean, these poor boarders are the other flagship of our school. They're the core uh, ludi is the Latin for heart of the school, and that's how the hostel is seen by the school community. Um, I like to think, because I'm an exporter, that the hostel, uh, we set the standards for the rest of the school. Not all the time, but um, yeah, most of the time. And uh, For example, we have four day school houses who compete culturally um, in sports activities, cultural activities, uh, academic activities and, um, and then all the points are added up at the end of the year and then the top house is named in uh, Heatherly House which is the, the name of the whole hostel usually win <laughs> they usually win because they have the time um, the the fraternity um, to to uh, meld together and make sure they get things right and we have we still have prefects here which is something that uh, it's archaic. Do you have colours? Uh, we don't have colours, we have a, a tiger jacket it's very prestigious and it sticks out like a sore thumb if, you, if you've seen a tiger jacket once you'll never forget it's a pinstripe black, gold and white um, jacket and it's awarded only to Senior students who have reached a very high level um, of ability in, in any sport, in any cultural activity, and in any act academic activity. Very hard to get. In the, in the early days, it was only a rugby, well, a cricket blazer, and then a rugby blazer. But uh, just recently, it's turned into our number one colours. So, Colin, tell me, I mean, your your sons are here. Yes. Why would um, this school be selected as opposed to a Māori boarding school for mm. parents of Māori boys? In my case, it was financial. <laughs> In my case, it was financial. Uh, I think there are pros and cons. Sending uh, our... our uh, Tamatane to Māori boarding schools, boarding schools in general. I think that they should 
if they're in an, in an unsafe environment, in an environment which is not conducive to study, especially if they're bright, bright children. Uh, that's why um, the scheme, Mapihi Ponamu, is a scheme for um, underprivileged secondary school students who may not have a, a good working environment at home. They can apply for a boarding grant uh, and attend any boarding school. We've had a couple of boys here. But, uh, you know, they tend to be, some, some of them tend to be very, very naughty. And um, I feel sorry for some of the Māori secondary schools because they seem to get a lot of these mapihi ponamu um, students. Uh, I'm glad they've got somewhere to go. Um, and an environment that takes them away from one that's maybe not as caring. However, I'm not saying that all Māori parents um, are not skillful at bringing up their, cho their, their, their children. But uh, for some, it's, it's a godsend um, to get them out of home into an environment where uh, other students are in the same boat academically, physically and where emotionally. Where they can shine. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly right. My, my boys are here at New Plymouth Boys High School because I love the school. Um, what it did for me, how it shaped my, the way I think about the world. Uh, I wanted them to experience the same um, in their time at, at, at high school. Now I say that because uh, at New Plymouth Boys High School, I mixed with people with far far higher aspirations than I would ever had it had I attended my local high school. I um, uh, mixed with people who had good grounding in lots of different um, areas, whether it be rugby. If I wanted to um, practice rugby, there was always somebody who was quite knowledgeable in the hostel and we went and played rugby. I wanted to learn how to play tennis, I went and played with that guy. Uh, when you go come to a boarding school, everybody comes with different skills, and uh, well, you know that. But also the traditions of the Plymouth Boys High School, you can't get away from. And, and I'm sure Teote College has these, uh, and other other high schools around the Motu. But for I, I didn't experience anywhere else other than New Plymouth Boys High School. So going from here and then returning home, how easy was it for you to transition back into back into your home life? Uh, I found it quite difficult. I found it quite difficult. My friends, um, in those days, I, we, it was a three-term year and you went away for 12 weeks, 14 weeks. A lot of growing happens in 12, 14 weeks and I can remember going home after the second term of my year nine, third form year, and I, I must have grown outstandingly because I went home and only my close friends could remember who I was. Other people um, had, uh, it took a while for them to, to, to recognise me. And in the end, after about my fifth form, well, I, I didn't bother, didn't bother actually uh, going outside of my immediate friends in Hamilton. Uh, and the further through New Plymouth Boys High School I got, the more I tended to lean on my New Plymouth Boys High School uh, 
hostel friends and he'd spent time with them and the people from Taranaki then going home to uh, to Waikato and those those friends that I had there. Interestingly, most of the friends that I had at home left school after the fifth form, whereas uh, the friends that I had at New Plymouth Boys High School carried on and, and went on to tertiary um, study. Well, I was the first person in my family to um, study at university. That was an eye-opener. Hmm. And, uh, but I believe that... Um, the discipline of study at New Plymouth Boys High School, um, learning new rules again, uh, deadlines, boundaries, um, set me up for um, tertiary study. So there, there were five of five Māori who were here at the same time that you were here. What had been your contact with Barker prior prior to you coming to New Plymouth Boys High School? Sorry. What was your contact with Pākehā prior to New Plymouth Boys High School? Uh, I went to a, I went to a, uh, a full primary school in Hamilton, and uh, I had a lot of contact with um, with European um, students and teachers. Did you come with any stereotypes? Because as you would have come here, you would have no doubt been um, bombarded immediately with stereotypes from some of the students here. But did you come yourself with any? Uh, I definitely um, (laughs) spent most of my time um, looking after myself in the hostel here in normal sincerity. Uh, Bullying, I think, is... At the time, it was rife in every hostel up and down the country. It was horrific stories yeah. in all hostels about um, boys taking that that age difference a bit bit far. But I'd never experienced racism up front like I did when I got into New Plymouth Boys High School. As I said, you know, um, my my nickname was nigger. Uh, and it was said in a derogative way by senior boys. Funnily enough, I, I used to stand up for myself. I, I used to get a lot of hidings, but I, but I definitely showed them that um, I wasn't going to put up with it. Have you seen any of those fellas since? Oh, yes. Yeah, I have. But uh, we don't remember those times. We remember the good times. They tend not to remember about the times they were. But I bet they do. Yeah. Two oh, o'clock in the morning. Then. Well, I'm a lot bigger than when I was in. Yeah, but um, yeah, that was definitely an eye opener for me. No one, no one was uh, outrageously rage, uh, racist when I was at um, primary and intermediate school. But when I had a high school, it uh, was and quite hard. lonely, mm. quite a quite moke moke to be in this. Well, I reckon any hostel. Uh, Did you end up banding together with the other five? No, we all we all battled independently. Mm. However, here's the good thing: if you if you were a good rugby player, yeah. uh, if you did something of merit uh, while you were in the hostel, people tended to leave you alone. Uh, I was able to make the first fifteen as a young guy, and so I I didn't 
didn't get into much trouble after the fifth one. But for, for others, uh, well, actually, all of oh, the Maori... didn't come calling. <laughs> all, all of the Maori students tended to excel at sports, so we didn't really get hassled for, for very long here. And, you know, we all ended up in positions of responsibility as students. And that's carried on right through to today. Um, I'm very proud of the Plymouth Boys High School and the like that. Uh, Māori students here, if they make the seven form, they tend to be heads of houses or if not the head boy. I think the last, last six years, five of them have been Māori students. Um, uh, who have been head boy. Who have been head boy. And uh, it's awesome to be able to haka up on stage uh, our, our head boys. They go up to do their valedictory speech to support them in that manner. So, How long has Te Reo been a subject here, Colin? Since 1982. So you have students that go to um, Namanu Kōrero? We have had. Uh, we have had over the years. Um... The last, well, during my time here, we, we had uh, in the senior Māori section Rangi Wahia Wano. He spoke two years in the, in the senior finals at Fariuka. And he came from Rangi Ate Fari. From um, Rangiatia Kurukopapa in his sixth form, and he, and he was very lucky to experience um, Kurukopapa Māori and also a school like New Plymouth Boys High School that they had the breadth and depth of subjects that um, uh, Poako Māori at Kurukopapa Māori are still sort of strengthening and widening. He, he, he enjoyed his time here just. Um, but I think he's lucky to have been able to go to a kūrakopa for Māori here and, and uh, grow within it. Very lucky young man. So uh, you're teaching te reo here. Uh, right. And students are taking it right through? Uh, yes, to bursary level. Um, the NCEA programme is... is uh, Difficult, difficult beast to get around, and you know, I, I think that all uh, teachers of Māori up and down the country would be saying the biggest problem with uh, teaching Te Reo Māori to students is having them in front of them <laughs> every day <laughs> with the correct gear, <laughs> with a full puku, <laughs> <laughs> so they can concentrate <laughs> without without them worrying about what they're going to do on the weekend. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I think... Oh, I, no, it was your know. class on Friday afternoon. <laughs> well, it, it revolves, so... Oh, OK. six-day timetable. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I often think, man, lucky if you have your students in a in a boarding school because they're captured and um, a lot of their time is managed for them and uh, how they study is managed for them. Now I look at a lot of day boys who, who turn up to school. Uh, they've 
running late because the car broke down. They're not happy because it started raining and they had to walk to school. They get to their first class, they get told off by their first parent teacher. So they're really smoking by the time they get to the period two teacher who they don't like. So they give him a rack up and before they know it, they're sitting outside the principal's office, deputy principal's office. And, uh, that's the second or third time in a row. Yeah, I, I, I just, uh, you know, and then they find out that they've left their books in the car that's broken down up the road. So uh, they get into trouble for not having any homework done. Whereas um, hostel students don't have that problem. Not here, anyway, because our hostel is within the school. So you'll have certain times where there's prep. Yes. We, uh, boys study six nights a week, seven o'clock until nine o'clock. And uh, senior boys, Sunday mornings, all, all junior boys go to church. Uh, which is interesting because um, the parents can't get them to church, but they... they strongly um, advocate that their boys go to churches as juniors here at Newfoundland Boys High School. Very interesting. Uh, parents have changed over the years. Um, students have definitely changed how we teach them. You know, I, I run an analogy. Uh, Graham Henry, Henry talks about coaching Polynesians, and I, I put Māori in the same bracket, that uh, you can't you can't kick them up the bum and push them along anymore like they used to in the uh, 70s and 80s. Bullying. Yeah, you can't bully them anymore. You've actually got to putty-putty them, pat their backs <laughs> and tell them it's all right. Um, otherwise, they just shut down. Mm. And, and I find that that's what's happening with um, students. Uh, you can't... You know, you can't push as much. You, you need to sort of... Um, have a softly, softly approach to teaching students. And uh, parents have changed too. Their expectations of what teachers should and shouldn't do, should and shouldn't teach their, 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 stu- uh, their, their children. Um, you know, some of the kids you get at hostels, they're sent there because their parents can't control. Yeah. And then uh, Johnny, Johnny is being put on a detention by hostel staff. So Johnny rings home and the parent rings up the hostel bus to say, what are you doing? Leave, you know, give my son some breathing room. And I think to myself, well, you can't control them. You send them here for us to do a job. Let us get on with it. <laughs> now, um, we have systems here um, and we've used them over time. Now, I, I think that the beauty of... Um, Hostel staff here are the, is the fact that we're all parents. All our families live on site. Um, and I think being a parent makes us insightful about what parents think about um, their children. But you have a um, have a have a bit of an edge though because you you've actually had a boarding school experience. Uh, that's. Don't you reckon? It is. It is. I. I uh, so you'll be able to relate to these boys when they're muki muki and exactly. you know, and some of them are really struggling mm. to fit into boarding school life and. Yeah, it even goes deeper than that. The types of um, cons that they get up to, the ones that we used to use in my day, so they don't get away with it so <laughs> so well. 
But um, <laughs> what trying to break bounds? Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, going on leave and, and when they shouldn't have those types of things. I think being a um, student as well as a hostel master, coming back as a hostel master after all these years, uh, in a spiritual sense, I, I, I feel like the walls talk. The walls talk to you sometimes because uh, you remember people from your time, and you know there's you know there's been um, there's been thousands of boys through this hostel over the years. I believe it's um, 100 years old next. The, the school itself is 125 years, celebrated last year, last Easter. The hostel uh, will be 100 years in uh, 2009. And uh, wherever, I, wherever I have been up and down the country, I've always run into old boys, uh, ex-hostel students, who have an opinion mostly positive about mm -hmm. their time at New Plymouth Boys High School mm -hmm. in the hostel and the, and the things they used to get up to. You know, it wasn't so long ago that the school had still had its farm. Um, I can't... It had finished before I got here, but definitely junior boys had to get up and milk the cows for breakfast uh, milk. Um, now the hardest job these boys get is toast duty. They've got to wake up at... Yeah. Uh, Quarter to six to do the taste. Colin Maihi. I'm Justine Murray, and you're listening to Te Ahika. Victory to the people. Nicolasi is born. One. I am pregnant. Four and a half weeks to go, and I am buying internet airline tickets for a friend whose mother is very sick and has no hospital to go to. All the staff in Ha'apai are on strike. I put a one-way ticket from Thonga on my credit card. She does not need a ticket to go back. 2. I am pregnant. Four weeks to go. My husband calls from Tonga to say there is much talk of war and yesterday at Bangai City it was said that today was a good day to die. 3. I am pregnant, three and a half weeks to go, and I am speaking carefully and cautiously like someone with little confidence in their own authority from my mother's house in Palmerston North on national radio about what is happening in Tonga. 4. I am pregnant, three weeks to go, and I am writing a letter to the Prime Minister, ours, not theirs, for someone else to sign. I sip a decaf, trim flat white, as two cousins fight over coffee and caramel slice in a cafe about the strike and what is right and what is wrong and which of their other cousins is the one who is really brainwashed. Five. I am pregnant, two and a half weeks to go, and we are all here in the Farekai of the Marae at the University of Auckland, denied access to the Fale Pacifica because the meeting was too political. We sit in the kitchen of the Tangata Whenua, digesting the words of the striking workers from Tonga. 
after the cultural brokers postulate and translate their own version of what was said, and the political ponies kick up their back heels and take up all the time, after the self-promotional community leaders who hate each other strut their savvy, and the familiar loopy fruits interrupt in that familiar, inappropriate and annoying way, with talk of socialism, fat cat, union bureaucracy, hidden genealogical connections and Polynesian conspiracy theories hidden in the vowel of our language, the workers are given four minutes each. After all our talk about hearing it from the horse's mouth and the need to ask questions, it becomes clear that what they have to say is already deeply known. Six. I am pregnant two weeks to go and I am counselling friends via cell phone who are organising the march down Queen Street and counselling friends via cell phone who are trying to stop it. 7. I am pregnant one and a half weeks to go and I am emailing my aunt to show her that the strikers are calling for her head and to say that I love her. She has worked for the government for almost as long as I have been alive. 8. I am pregnant, one week to go, watching video footage of what is happening in Tonga in a Samoan church in South Auckland. One prince tells another to clean up his mess. A princess walks through the mud to her people, Lowering herself, the people lift her higher. 9. I am pregnant. Three days to go, I am marching, in the sun, holding a sign the whole way up Queen Street. Peace and fairness in Tonga. The words are dripping. My muscles strong from carrying my one-year-old son the other swinging in my belly. 10. I am pregnant. One day to go. I have a secret agenda. I have an agenda hidden behind the ribs of my chest. The agenda that is agendaless. The mother of all agendas. 11. Nicolasi, victory to the people, is born. Carlo Miller reading Victory to the People. Nicolasi is born. Miller's first collection of poetry, Dreamfish Floating, took out the Mackay Best First Book Award for Poetry at the Montana New Zealand Book Awards in 2006. Not bad for her first book, whose second, A Well-Written Body, was published this year. Next week, more from Carlo. Playwright and fellow poet Leilani Unasa reviews her collection. And Carlo Miller was part of the crew at the Christchurch Writers Festival last week. There's some information about that at our website, radioNZ.co.nz. Aneira Amasia Murray, Metifaka Marama Otifakatoki, Itine Wiki. Kia hora te marino, kia whakapapapaunamu te moana, kia tere te karohirohi i mua ito huarahi. Um, what that means to me is that it's 
wishing people well on their travels that they're going on, whether it's just up the road or overseas. That's just something little that I like to say to people to wish them well. Kia ora. He mihi tēnei ki a koutou katoa ki ngā kai kōrero me ngā kai whakahaire mihini. He mihi tēnei ki a koutou katoa, hei tērā wiki, mauri ora.